Welcome to Keep Them Coming with Open the Doors Coaching. I'm your host, Kristen Thomas. I'm a certified sex coach and clinical sexologist based in Kansas City. And I just love to talk to people about what goes on in their sex lives and relationships. I also enjoy good conversation about love, heartache, activism, or making change in the world. Be warned, you should probably be 18 and over and probably listening on your headphones. Thanks for tuning in. I was so happy to have today's guest on Keep Them Coming. I was joined by Janelle Marie Pierce, who is an STI educator that I have known virtually. We've been online friends for a little while. She is the executive director of the STI project, as well as the new education manager for Health HIV based in DC. And I found out too that she's a spokesperson for Positive Singles, which is a dating site for those who have a positive STI status. I found out more about what inspired her to get out into the world and educate people about STIs. And we discussed disclosure. How do you actually ask someone if they have been tested recently, gotten that STI test? And how do you disclose that you've got an STI? She gave some of her best tips that she gives folks she works with. We also talked about some of the vernacular because I often get asked, well, why do you say STI or what is an STI? Because people are used to STD. So we discussed some of the, the reasons behind saying STD or STI. And she gave me the lowdown on Positive Singles, which has over 2 million users. It is mostly in the U.S. But I think it's a wonderful resource for people who perhaps have been turned off to dating on I don't know, some of the bigger mainstream websites. Maybe they've had some negative experiences disclosing their, their status, whether it be for HIV, HPV, herpes, any of the longer term treatable infections and diseases. There's a lot of stigma around it. And some people have bad experiences. So I'm glad that there is a place that people can go to sort of either, you know, hit the reset button and see that, oh, well, there actually are some really kind and understanding people out there who aren't going to treat me poorly just because I'm being honest and being vulnerable. And yeah, most people out there have some form of an STI and they either aren't disclosing it or they just haven't gotten a diagnosis. So any of you out there who are listening, I I hope that every single one of you is a, a kind, compassionate, understanding person. But if you're listening and you're not... You got a thing or two to learn about how to treat other human beings who are simply, I mean, being forthcoming. I have told clients time and again, you are less likely to get herpes from someone who tells you I have herpes than you are from probably a lot of the other partners out there. Because either they're pretending like the oral herpes that they have, the cold sore breakouts that they have on occasion are no big deal. Or they just are, are hiding it or they're not getting medications, all those things. Like they, they aren't aware of their breakouts and what it feels like. So yeah, people who have a positive test to disclose to you or have a positive status to disclose to you probably understand a lot more about their bodies and their health and how to keep you healthy as their partner. So do with that information what you will. All right, I threw a workshop on the calendar for next week. So March 8th at 7.30, virtually join me for setting the mood in and out of the bedroom. You can find a link in the show notes, purchase a ticket, or go to my social media and look for the links in my bio or like there's a Facebook event. 
You can find the link through Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, uh, from my flow code, the link in my bio. So tickets are $45. If you heard it here and uh, are a regular Keep Them Coming listener, check the show notes for your discount code. I appreciate you being a listener and I want to reward you. I've got some other workshops coming up. I'm going to try to do them about every three weeks for a little while rather than once a month. So get on my Dirty Bird or Safe for Work email list so that you can stay up to date on all my upcoming workshops. If you have any questions about my workshops, go to my website, openthedoorscoaching.com and either go to the services tab and click on workshops or there should be a tab up there at the top also. Uh, just for the workshops. So as always, feel free to email me any questions that you have. If you would like me to do a, a Q&A episode, which I do on occasion, and you've got questions you'd like me to answer for you on air, shoot me an email, Kristen at openthedoorscoaching.com. If you'd like to be a guest, let me know that as well. Okay, enjoy this episode. I am joined today by someone who is also out educating the people. Janelle Pierce is the executive director of the STI project. She's also the education manager for health HIV and a spokesperson for positive singles, the dating app for people with STI. So Janelle, thank you so much for joining me and keep them coming. Hello, welcome, or not welcome. What, what's the answer? What's the response? The, <laughs> the appropriate response is thank you. And well, and, and welcome to sharing a space today, I guess. Yes. And welcome to all the listeners who are tuning in, right? That's exactly right. Now, I also saw that you were one of Please Me's top 100 sex educators. So congrats on that as well. Oh, thank you. Yes, I sure was. And there was the list was full of incredible educators. There were like 300 on the original list. So just to be included in that top 100, that's pretty, um, I'm honored. Like it's a, it's a pretty significant, I think, response to the work that I've been doing for the last decade. Absolutely. I hope to make that list one day as well. Please Me is a, a new sex positive social media site. So if anyone out there is curious what that's all about, you can you know, check out Please Me and, and see the beautiful community of sex positivity and education that they are trying to build on there. So I was, I was happy to see quite a few people that I know, even some people I've already interviewed for the podcast on the list, like Lene St. John and uh, yes, friends and yes. colleagues. Mm-hmm. So yeah, very that's cool. Very cool. Yeah. Congrats on that's that. It's pretty cool. Yeah. I always love that when I'm, when they're, I mean, some of those lists, like, you know, are kind of marketing and they're to help uplift the the platform, but I mean, even just to be included and, you know, when you initially start out, there's a lot of imposter syndrome and you just don't know, like, is there space for my perspective and is this going to be received well? And, you know, is there a need for this kind of work? Mm-hmm. And so all of those things affirm all of that. So I, I always appreciate it. Lovely. Yes. You, yeah, I, understand what you're talking about with that imposter syndrome, especially when you're first starting out. And there are a lot of wonderful people in this space, but I think that there's just so many people that need education, that there's, there's room for all of us. And we all have some different perspectives to add to the conversation. So speaking of perspectives, your, your main focus again is about STI education and prevention. So tell me more about what inspired you to start getting involved in this kind of work with STI education. 
Yeah, my original why is because of my personal experience. I was 16 years old when I contracted genital herpes. And so now I've had herpes for years and years and years. My herpes is older than some people probably listening to this podcast. And um, but yeah, it's that the experience initially was really awful. I was stigmatized by my practitioner and I internalized all of that shame and the stigma associated with all STIs and contracting an STI and really felt that that was going to be representative of my life moving forward. And Mm. fast forward years ahead, And I realized that herpes had nothing to do with my life at all. It didn't impact my relationships and it didn't hinder all of the things that I did professionally and personally. And it really didn't have to impede in the way that I expected it to and really thought that it was going to because of all the misconceptions around STIs. So then I started thinking, I thought, well, why is there this huge disconnect? There's this entire um, there's this belief and mindset from the general public around what it's like to contract an STI and live with an STI. And then there's the reality of the lived experience, which is usually entirely different. And so how do I reconcile those two things in my own life? And then how do I help others too? Because it took me a long time to overcome that, or at least to move forward mm-hmm. in a really positive way and to not escape and, um, and to just be able to be really positively empowered by the experience and to use it as a catalyst to help open up other doors and vulnerability in a way that I'd never had an opportunity to do before I contracted an STI. So yeah, so that was that was the whole catalyst to the STI project is creating a resource essentially that wasn't that didn't exist when I was diagnosed and to help people move forward through that experience a lot quicker and with a lot um, more resources that are available to them. That's beautiful. I mean, I'm so sorry that you didn't have people in your life who were helping to educate you and not stigmatize you. I mean, especially as a teenager to have your doctor stigmatize you. I'm sure that was not a pleasant experience whatsoever. So I'm so sorry that you had that and that, but isn't this often what happens when people don't have the support, they don't have the allies, they don't have the education that they so desperately needed that they then get out and become that resource or that teacher for others. Yeah. Yeah. we be, we become the change we wish to see. And that's the thing is like my mom and dad were really supportive and they tried to convince me. And my mom said like, no, this isn't going to change and change you. And this isn't going to make you not lovable. And this doesn't mean that no one will ever want you again. Like all the things that I muttered after getting this diagnosis on the way home in the car. And, uh, but I didn't believe her. like a teenager, teenagers aren't going to believe their parents anyways. And like, what yeah. do they know? And, the, and those were the only people who knew and were fairly supportive. And so I thought like, no, this is just because they're my parents and mm. everyone else and it feels this way. And so it felt very isolating in my experience, albeit um, disheartening is not entirely unique either. And I've learned that too, through the years, so many others have been stigmatized by a practitioner who was not fully educated, who was projecting their own stigma and, um, belief system around behavior and consequences of behaviors and et cetera, um, just lack of comprehensive, inclusive sexual health, sexual health information. And so, 
what I felt like was isolating in my own unique experience was unfortunately then I learned shared by so many others. And that's even more frustrating because it's like, there's a giant problem here Mm -hmm. that we need to work to remedy because it is truly harming people. I mean, a diagnosis, especially when someone does not, is not provided with resources and does not experience empathy and compassion, especially from a medical provider whom of which you would assume is going to be the most empathetic and compassionate that can truly cause trauma when that is not handled in a way that is affirming and supportive and, and providing comprehensive resources, et cetera. And so it, it very much does for so many people, they experience trauma and ongoing trauma as a result of that. And it changes some of their trajectory. I mean, they're, they're reticent to engage with additional practitioners and to continue to monitor and do preventative, um, preventative things around their sexual health. Like a, a gal in one yeah. of my groups just said the other day, like, I never want to go to an OBGYN again because I don't want to have to go through this every single time I see a doctor. And it's like, it's a shame because you need a pap smear every year and you need all these services that, that help to, to help maintain your overall wellness and that are preventative and proactive. And then if you feel that way, you know, of course it's understandable. I can't blame anyone for feeling that way after having that experience, but that's why I guess, you know, why we're all doing this work and why, like you said, it's so important for so many more educators to come up and to, and to continue entering this space. Like there is plenty of room because everyone in the entire world needs this information and we aren't going to be able to serve all people. We're not representative of all people, our identities, and we're going to resonate with certain people in different Mm -hmm. ways. And so that's why it's important that we continue and continue to share space and support one another and all of those things, of course. Yes, absolutely. I mean, you touched on something that really gets me stirred up with my clients a lot of times when they share experiences that they've had with healthcare professionals. If any of y'all are listening out there, you need some re-education. Like, I just, I don't know any other way to put it, but I wish that I could talk to every single OBGYN in my city, in my state, whatever. It's staggering to me that the number of OBGYNs, one, that don't ask their clients or patients about sexual function and sexual desire and are they doing okay sexually but then if they're having trouble with their libido they just tell them to go drink a glass of wine if they contract an sti they're made to feel bad or like they're less of a person and i mean that's so sad that you had someone that they were to the point where they didn't want to go have the proper medical support that they need throughout their life Simply yeah, yeah. and you know, sometimes it feels, it is sad and it feels shocking, but when we look at it from a practical perspective, the, even an OBGYN who, which is a specialist who specializes in reproduction and the genitals and et cetera, that still covers dysfunction and um, childbirth and a myriad of things that are, are complex And that, so no one can be, I guess what I'm saying is there's so much that's even encompassed under the OBGYN category that no one can be an expert in one specific area of those, of those that fits underneath that umbrella. So someone who is a specialist, you would assume would know more and they typically do. 
because they're dealing with that area of the body more often. But even, even still, they're dealing with all different aspects of the functioning of those organs and the way in which that, um, that they're presenting and, and issues that can happen and concerns, et cetera. So there's so much that's encompassed even in that education, and they just can't know all there is to know about each and every STI. There's over 30 STIs. Mm-hmm. So to know and understand the epidemiology of each of them and that, and it's different per, per person, per experience, et cetera. So there's so much nuance there. So in that sense, like, I don't want to give a pass to medical professionals who are lacking empathy, compassion, comprehensive information, um, because you can, you can serve a population and you can serve around a topic that even if you aren't you don't have a comprehensive knowledge or background around, you can at least find the resources or point them in the correct direction or provide just empathetic compassion kind of care. So there's a way in which to do it that is still affirming and supportive um, and acknowledging that we can't know all the things, like no matter what and whom you are and what kind of provider you are, you can't be an expert in all the things. So I understand that it's just the approach and, and it's hard not to, use language in particular and project our expectations on people and the decisions they're making around their bodies. Because as a society as a whole, not just from medical professionals, but as a society as a whole, we see that we see this really well. This has been echoed so, so poignantly across all aspects of life with COVID because we see so much shaming, so much opinion, so much like this is what you should be doing because of this. And not that I don't agree with some of these takes. However, each person's body is really their own and it's up to them to decide what is going to be best for their overall health. When it starts to impact other people's health, you know, like when we're talking about disclosure and conversations with others around our sexual health, our boundaries, our needs, our wants, et cetera, then things change a little bit. But when we're just making decisions for ourselves, we get to decide what what risks we're interested in accepting and willing to take and consider and the ways in which we want to mitigate them. And that might not be the way in which somebody else is going to choose to engage in activities and how they're going to use their body in the way that they want to and be concerned about the overall wellness of their health and their bodies and their interactions and relationships. And that's going to be different for all people. And I think honoring that, supporting that, and finding a way in which to educate and empower people to make the decisions that are going to be best. That's the overall end goal. And we're just, we're obviously not there yet as a, <laughs> as a society, from a general public standpoint, from a medical practitioner standpoint, there are lots of areas of improvement. Yes. And so I'll start off by saying that you are definitely giving a very uh, nuanced response or uh, nuanced concern to like doctors that, Again, as you say, you're not giving them a pass, but you also understand the situation as it currently stands. Um, I'll I'll just I'll be the one that's a little bit more mean and judgy towards <laughs> the doctors. <laughs> you, you've got to play a little bit more of that political role with your roles, with you know, trying you're you're trying to educate people and you can't come at them like maybe I do sometimes. So I'll give you that. Um, but yes, I, I also do understand the fact that you know we have even the general public just has this conception of sort of like the, the five or six most common STIs. And yet, yes, there can exist. There are other STIs that can be hard to treat. I had someone actually contact me recently and ask if I had heard about urea plasma. Is that how I'm saying it right? Your looks like, it. yes, urea plasma. I was like, yes, I've, I've heard of it. 
And she had to self-diagnose um, because the doctor was not coming to that conclusion. And all it was, it was she needed an antibiotic, but um, yeah. she was just kind of pissed that like her own doctor didn't even look at it. I was like, well, I mean, there's, there's some other STIs out there. They kind of look for the first most common ones and then go from there. But I'm glad you were your own medical advocate and did some more research and you were able to find the answer. Uh, I, I am sorry. You didn't get the treatment you needed right away, but um glad you are now. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, even I, and that's pretty typical. Of, like you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. But, and, and you feel like, wait a minute, aren't, why don't I have an answer? And we, the medical field is a practice. It's science is not a, um, uh, what do I want to say? It is, there is, there's nuance in science and complexity and it is not hot or cold. It's not like math where something is, or it isn't necessarily. Right. Sometimes we do have a concrete answer or when sometimes we talk it's about just... testing around STIs. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's process of elimination. Right, right. Exactly. Exactly. It's just, it's a guess and check until we find the right answer or we get, or we get really close. And that can be really frustrating when it's your body. I mean, I've had different other than STIs, things going on medically that it's, it's taken years to figure out. And I didn't necessarily even ever have an answer and things change. And you just are shocked with how much information we do have, how far we've come from a science perspective um, and how far we have to go, how much we don't know about the human body, how much that is totally foreign and unknown to us at this point in time, even still with all of the, all of the progress that we've made, it's really kind of surprising. And like with STI testing, they'll test for chlamydia or gonorrhea, those specific bacterial infections. And then if you still have an issue going on, you test negative for those, they just hand you a round of antibiotics because you probably have mycoplasma or trick or urea or um, any of these other potential uh, bacterial infections that can also be treated with the same round of antibiotics, but they're not necessarily just pinpointing specifically which one. I had a consultation, yeah. I do consultations one-on-one and I'd had one last night and the gal had pelvic inflammatory disease, which is the consequence of an untreated bacterial infection that someone uh-huh. has had for a long time undiagnosed. And then it causes um, even further implications and a lot of times irreversible. And yeah. at that point in time, uh, she was diagnosed with PID, pelvic inflammatory disease, and they didn't know it was negative for chlamydia and gonorrhea. And they didn't specifically pinpoint which bacteria had caused it, but obviously mm. it was sexually transmitted. And um, although every once in a while, pelvic inflammatory disease can be caused by an imbalance in the normal, normal healthy flora, but it would have to be unchecked for a very long time. Yeah. And that mm-hmm. is pretty atypical. Usually it's caused by an STI. That's the most common, mm-hmm. common reason. So anyhow, I digress, but mm-hmm. point is, is that we don't always know the exact answers. And, we, and I get this, especially with herpes, because people are like, who gave it to me? When did I get it? How long have I had it? What's mm-hmm. going to happen? How many outbreaks are, am I going to get? Like everyone wants to know precise information and it is not um, that information is usually not obtainable. We can right. we can guess and get a proximity of information and then help people move forward with as much information as possible, but you may not always have the answers. And yeah. that's just one of those things you have to accept and move forward from. And that's really hard to do when, when you want to kind of assuage how awful you're feeling about having an STI. And the way we do that is we blame. Like if I can pinpoint and target and it's the fault that of person this, gave it to me. this specific activity, 
yeah, this hookup, like also then you can beat yourself up. Like, man, I shouldn't have done it this one specific time or with this specific person, or if I made this different choice and it's just not that specific. And so we have to be able to accept that we were making conscientious decisions. And as long as it was consensual, that this is part of a being human, that we sometimes contract infections and they're not ideal. No one wants a new infection. I don't want COVID, the flu, a cold, poison ivy, a tooth uh, infection. Mm -hmm. I don't want to go get a cavity filled, you know, like all of these things that are not lovely experiences, but they are part of having a human body that does not just we're not a robot. We can't just live forever and our bodies deteriorate and we're susceptible to things. Yes. Yes. And uh, I kind of had that moment where I was like, oh, because you were saying things that just hit me because I've, I've had a couple of those instances. Um, I got diagnosed with uh, HPV one time and I was so mad at myself of like, oh, I just hadn't slept with that person. And I was mad at him Mm -hmm. for a long time. And then I found out that HPV can actually reside in your system for quite a long time. And I could have actually had it for years. And it just now started to manifest when I had a a pap smear that showed, you know, it was abnormal. So it maybe wasn't that guy. And then I also had a time where I had chlamydia. And I went back and I called like the last five guys and three of them Mm -hmm. said they went and got tested. And I believe for sure two of them. And they said like, yeah, I I was, I was negative. And, and one of them, I had sex with again after that. And he was like, you know what? That was actually really cool that you called me right away. Cause he was the last partner I had been with. And he's like, I really respect the fact that you call me like the day. Like I come within like 30 minutes of getting the phone call. And he's like, I appreciate you taking my sexual health and your sexual health seriously. I appreciate that you were doing your thing and getting regular STI testing and you know, while I guess I'm okay, uh, it wasn't me. Uh, we used protection. I didn't get it or whatever. Or he cleared the infection. He wasn't sure, but I never did find out who gave it to me. And I did have to just let go of that notion of trying to pinpoint what happened, what I did wrong. I didn't do anything wrong. Yep. I was just being a sexually yep. active adult. And I happened to catch chlamydia. Probably it yep, could have happened exactly. just from oral sex. It might not have even been from a guy that I had intercourse with. So very true. Yeah. And it wasn't that guy because chlamydia can't clear on its own. So there you go. What a gold standard of a response. Yeah. It wasn't him, but that's the gold standard. That's exactly how every single person person should respond when we find out someone's status. Like, thank you so much. That's awesome. I'm going to do what I need to do. You do what you need to do. Like highest to fives. I appreciate that respect and the mutual consideration. And that is the response. And if you, if you have any other response of like, ew, oh my gosh, or how many people have you slept with and what, and I can't, you know, anything else that is not that a neutral, level-headed, thoughtful, empathetic, and compassionate response, throw them that response and them right out the window, like out the, yes. out the seven-story building. Yes. <laughs> Push bye. Them right bye with you. See you later. You don't deserve my yes. time. Yeah. Bye. I mean, for real, because that is exact. that's brilliant. What an awesome individual. Glad you had sex with them again, too. Because like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> me too. Me too. <laughs> I wish him good things. Yeah. I've got, you know, LTR now and I wish him like the best. He's a cool dude. But um, I would like mm-hmm. to take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to circle back around to something that you touched base on, which is that disclosure talk and 
I, I want to sort of model for the audience what that talk can look like, because that's definitely something I get asked about. It's like, okay, I, how do, how do I ask, have you been tested lately? How do I disclose that I, I have HPV or I have anything? So let's talk about that when we come back from the break. It's time for a quick break. I promise it'll just be a minute, so stay tuned. I'll be right back after a few words that help me get paid. Okay, I am back. You've been hearing me talk to Janelle Pierce, and she is an STI educator. She's an education manager with the with Health HIV and also a spokesperson for Positive Singles. So we're going to talk a little bit more about disclosure and about dating while positive. So yeah, disclosure. What what are we talking about here when we say disclosure? Yeah. A lot of people think it's like this admonition of guilt. Like I have something awful to tell you. And really we want to reframe that. It's a conversation, a mutual reciprocal discussion amongst your partner and partners about what your expectations are, sexual health needs. So it's a conversation where, of course, you're going to share your known status, and then you're also looking to receive information about their testing history and status. Mm -hmm. And then furthermore, about what your expectations are. And it doesn't have to be like this complex, very long I don't know, sleepy, formal kind of conversation. It can be fun and flirty. It can be very short and casual. It really is. It can be per different per relationship dynamic. It can evolve over time and it's got to be authentic to you. So whatever language you use, whatever method of communicating, text, WhatsApp, social media, phone, in person, sitting down over coffee. I mean, I don't, I don't give an F about how you want to do that. It's that it feels really good to you and that it's, and that it's, and that it's back and forth and that Mm -hmm. you're actually sharing and communicating because your, your health and your interests and needs and um, overall sexual health and wellness is just as important as theirs. And that doesn't get emphasized enough when people contract something. It's like, you have to make sure you tell everyone. Well, I also want to know about their status because most people aren't getting tested. Only 11% of people um, have been tested in the last year, 11 to 12%. And that was a statistic before COVID. So the number Mm. is actually lower than that because we know that people during COVID stopped getting tested for STIs and there just weren't the resources and people were repurposed in the public health sector. So that stopped almost entirely. So that number is plummeted and that number was already exceptionally low. And so we know that that's not a regular practice. We know that people aren't having these conversations because they feel awkward and we're scared about being vulnerable. And that's what it is though, but it's okay and beautiful to be a little bit vulnerable and it can be fun and like nerve wracking, of course, but that's part of the excitement of these new relationships and exploring and deciphering like what's going to work and what's not, because you, like I said, you need that information too, because you're making a decision for yourself. Do I want to move forward with this individual? So it's great to see how are they going to respond to something that they should be responding pretty neutral to whether they say yes or no to moving forward. Um, you're always looking for a, an empathetic, compassionate response. And if you don't receive it, then like I said, throw them right out the window. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I, and I've had people ask, well, what if, what if I tell them and then they reject me? I'm like, well, then they're not for you. I mean, like they absolutely have the right to say thank you, but no, thank you. I mean, obviously if they're rude, mm-hmm. just get up and leave. Like you, you owe them nothing if they are rude to you. About exactly. It. But if they're at least like, 
I, I appreciate you telling me I'm not really, I don't think that I'm interested in getting involved with someone that has this. Um, I've had to have that conversation with someone before he, he disclosed that he had uh, a form of HPV. And I said, I really, really appreciate you telling me, um, you know, I'm, I'm personally not willing to be with a partner right now, especially a casual partner that, and, and take that risk, but you did absolutely the right thing by telling me. And, you know, I think yeah. you should always tell every partner that you're thinking about getting involved with sexually about this because you know, there are consequences. And so you will find that partner who's like me too, or I'm okay with that. You know, sign me up. It's just not going to be me. Yeah. 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 So, Tons of them. And then, and that's yep. the thing, like, it's not just going to be the one person that you're stuck with too. I mean, people who contract an STI find themselves in an unhealthy and harmful relationships oftentimes and stay in them longer than they would in, in a traditional sense, or if they didn't have a positive STI status and because they mm-hmm. feel like this is the only person who's going to be okay. And uh-huh. how am I ever going to start over and do this again? And it's like, that's yeah. so not the lived experience of the vast majority of people with STIs. And yeah, of oh, course, yeah. rejections oh, yeah. happen, but that's also sharing information to you because there's a myriad of reasons why that rejection is happening. It's not just because of your STI status. And a lot of times it's that they're just not that into you because I would wager that if you were super digging that casual relationship and you didn't even classify it as, it wouldn't feel like that was just potentially going to be a casual hookup. Like even if it was a short-term thing, if you were so into that person, your your decision-making would have changed around that because that's, yeah. it's the level of which you're interested, the level of your consideration, your risk changes based on each relationship and that dynamic. And yep. our risk consideration is fluid. It changes over time and over each relationship. And so that tells you a lot. And like, if you don't, if that person isn't 110% all in, why would you want to engage anyways? I mean, yep. then it's kind of like, no, I want that person to be just as into me as I'm into them. So it sucks. Like rejection always sucks. There's no way to be like, yay, you said no. Right. Right. <laughs> but at least that is that no is a yes someplace else. So that no is creating space for yeses in other directions. And so instead of just getting stuck there, and being like, this no is representative of all future yep. potential relationships. It is not a reflection of all future relationships. And that's what happens when you're, when you're diagnosed with an STI and you're already internalizing the stigma, you're looking for all of this evidence that proves that, yes, the stigma is true. Yes, I'm unworthy and unlovable and damaged and dirty, et cetera. And so all of these things then confirm this like cognitive bias that we have going on in our heads, as opposed to the reality of it is like, no, that was just this specific instance. It is not a reflection of all future relationships. And so this doesn't mean that that is now how I need to perceive all future interactions, but that's hard to do. I mean, that's easier said than done, of course. Yes. But beautifully put, absolutely beautifully put. That is how you should think of it for sure. So do you ever practice that conversation with people that you're, you're consulting about what it looks like to actually say, Hey, so I have this, like, what do you, what are some of the the things that you recommend most when you are the person who has an STI and you've started dating someone new and it's time to check in with them, let them know what you have, see if they're cool with it and ready to proceed. Yes. Great question. So 
my tips are, of course, before putting someone at risk and um, before engaging in activities, doing your best to do it clothed and sober and before you're in the heat of the moment because decision-making, yes. you could be, it could, coercion could come into play and then you're not fully conscientious making these decisions, both people involved, right? It's not just a you're coercing someone else, it's that you're also potentially making decisions in that in that moment um, that you may have, would otherwise feel differently about if you had removed yourself or, or did it in advance, in advance of that happening. So clothed and sober, but then you get to decide the context, the level of information that you share. So no one has a right to information about your sexual history and past. The only thing that is relevant to this current relationship is your status, as well as all of your needs and wants and expectations, hopes, et cetera, mm-hmm. around that. that relationship. But if mm-hmm. if they're digging for additional information, you have a right to say like, I don't feel comfortable sharing that, or I just don't feel like that's relevant at this time. Now, if that's part of your story that you do want to share, go for it. Like that's totally up to you, but it's certainly not an obligation that you have to. And I like the, and I kind of already alluded to this, is that you get to pick the environment that's safest for you and that feels most comfortable for you that is authentic. So that may be virtual, online, through text, et cetera, maybe in person, whatever you want. And again, that can change per person, per circumstance, per relationship. And you can try a couple of approaches on for size. And if it didn't feel good, then try a different way next time. Um, You're not just married to this one path forever. And I like to share a resource or two, like a factual, some factual information, just a little bit. We don't want to inundate people and do a science lesson because that's not necessary. And, um, but then if you are sharing resources, I like to share like a factual one and then like a storytelling platform. It doesn't have to be my own. Of course, the STI project is awesome. I'm biased, obviously, (laughs) Um, but something that humanizes and talks to the experience and how common and relevant it is and what that might look like in relationships, et cetera. And then I like to, um, give them a beat because you are also at this point, if we're talking about a reciprocal conversation, you're receiving some information in return. You both might need a moment to process. And that could be a short moment. It could be a couple of days. It just depends again on the context of this relationship and what the expectations are, how casual, how long-term, et cetera. And, um, and then of course, do your very best not to take any response personal. And so that's the, the one that's like, yeah, obviously, but it's so many easier said than done but I mean that genuinely like if they're shitty then that is telling you everything about them nothing about you that's a reflection um, of them internally a projection of what they're aware of their education etc and is not a reflection of who you are and how you are how you walk through this world or how you are going to or need to and of your value and your ability to be in healthy amazing loving supporting relationships so those are my like tips and I mean sometimes I'll talk through um, a, a disclosure conversation, but the biggest part is to make it authentic for you. And it's okay to be vulnerable. Like our culture doesn't encourage that. And we don't have a lot of examples of what that might look like. It's like, we're risk very much risk averse. Mm-hmm. And so, but vulnerability is important and necessary for intimacy. Vulnerability breeds intimacy and connection. And so we yes. need to be a little bit vulnerable and into, in order to open that door for connection. And the thing is, is everyone else has stuff that they feel shame around that they're not sure about that they feel like might be a red flag like everyone has something that makes them uncomfortable that they would just love to be heard and maybe even supported around and so 
knowing that and remembering like it's even even this like number 10 person you know like a lot of my consultations are like man I just don't feel like I can go after this person who I think is a number 10 (laughs) and I'm like why because they also are human just like you and even though you see them as this wonderful amazing like perfect perfect specimen of a human they too have things that they're just looking to be seen and heard around and supported and to connect on a level that's deeper. And maybe, and sometimes it doesn't have to be this big, deep connection. It can just be hookups. Like casual hookups can happen with an STI. So all Mm -hmm. of these, like I built in lots of nuance with all of this, um, with all these tips, because it is going to be different per person. So I don't usually do like the whole, like, okay, it could sound like this because my language and the way in which I would present something is going to sound totally different than the way in which somebody else would. But Mm -hmm. um, the one tip I would talk about around language, the one thing that I practice with people that I consult with is saying the actual infection. So like we do a lot of dancing around like I have H or I have HSV or, um, you know, like I have an infection or I contracted it and like not saying like it's herpes. I have herpes. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) And, and that saying it out loud and practicing like what that looks like saying it in the mirror, like I have herpes and, and cool, shrug your shoulders and let it go. And then let that tension release and let your body process and, and identify kind of where it's catching you up from a physical perspective and how that feels in your mouth, because the more comfortable and confident, oh, those, I, I forgot that tip do it as confidently and and as calm and comfortably as you possibly can, of -hmm. course, but your authentic emotion that comes out at the time is your authentic emotion. So honor that and don't beat yourself up about it. Like be gracious with yourself. So yes, but anyhow, one of those tips is like, say it, say it out loud so Mm -hmm. that you can acknowledge and hold space even for yourself and your experience. Very good. Good advice. Absolutely. Thank you for that. I'm curious because I've had people ask me about this uh, and I know what I explained to people, but we've made a switch as an industry. We don't really call them STDs anymore, sexually transmitted diseases. We call them STIs. So help, help me explain to the audience why we focus on it being an infection and not labeling it in a disease, whatever it may yeah, be. So <laughs> for sure. So STD isn't wrong. It's like before it was STD, it was VD, venereal disease. And so we're just becoming more and more inclusive of all of the different types of infections that can be sexually transmitted. And STI encompasses all of them. Not only that, from a medical perspective, STI is slightly more medically accurate. When what I mean by that is all STDs are preceded by an STI. So you have to have an infection before you can have a disease, Mm -hmm. but you, at least in terms of sexually transmitted ones, but before that, um, a lot of infections never progress to the disease state, quote unquote, in order to have an STD, you have to have signs and symptoms. So like I straight up have an STD because I get outbreaks. And so people who have herpes, but they have it asymptomatic and never get outbreaks, technically they have an STI, but there's, there's nuance there and we don't need to necessarily categorize it or put a hierarchy in place, but the STI is more medically accurate because all ST, all infections start are all sexually transmitted pathogens start as an infection first. And oftentimes they never even proceed to the disease state. There are never any signs and symptoms. People remain asymptomatic. They have no idea that they actually have the infection to begin with. Mm -hmm. The other aspect, 
And I actually would push back on this. The other aspect that it's thought of that infection sounds a little less scary than disease and is a little less stigmatized. To be quite frank, I think that that's kind of silly because what's stigmatized about the infection versus disease is how it's transmitted is the sexually transmitted component. Mm -hmm. If you talk about another type of disease, diabetes, heart disease, um, even mental health has, it does have stigma. So that's not necessarily a good example, but stuff that we see typically that is chronic and common in all people that has zero stigma or very little stigma compared to something that's sexually transmitted. Once you yeah. say you contracted it from sex, that's in and of itself where the stigma lies, the shame and the, the moral, um, like the moral degradation of somehow you must be bad and you did something bad and all yeah. of that is associated with the way in which it's contracted. So I push back on the idea that STI has less stigma. Um, it some maybe sounds a little less worrisome, but people are freaked out if you say something sexually transmitted, no matter what you call it infection, a disease. Yeah. You could, you could call it a butterfly, a sexually transmitted butterfly. And they'd be like, what there's bugs that sexually transmit <laughs> or like, even though they're pretty, like, no, I don't want that either. <laughs> so I, I mean, yeah. I had someone on my show a few months ago who wrote a book called from ABC to STD. And it, it's sort of an adult sex ed book. And I had someone push back mm -hmm. on social media, like, well, why do they call it S? Why are you saying STD? I'm like, well, because that's the title of the book. And STD is not medically inaccurate. Um, yeah, I, right. I get what you're saying. Like, I do think a little bit of it was, was a bit of branding, simply trying to like, let's try and take some of the stigma out of it. Yeah. And, and I, I'm with you hundred percent on the like, uh, maybe for some people it gives you the, the feel goods or the feel less bad, mm -hmm. but really at right, the end of the day, bad. Mm -hmm. yeah, I think it, I try to teach people that STI is simply about, as you say, being a little bit more inclusive of all the possibilities, as you're saying yeah. that it's an infection often before it's a disease. And since most things are right. easily treatable, like we just call it STI to be a little bit more inclusive of all the, the possibilities. That it's, yes. not, that it's and, less, and less it's bad interesting. or less good. Right, exactly. Because it's all just sexually transmitted and it's just another infection, like all the myriad of infections that we contract and that we can either treat and cure or we can manage. And what's funny about the pushback is I've heard that too. When I, And we use them interchangeably still. So does the CDC. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's because there's a little bit of elitism and um, gatekeeping that's built into that. Like, how could you not know that this is the new term and you're obviously yeah. not educated or right. <laughs> it, it, what's, what's silly about that is the general public still doesn't recognize STI. Most people are like, what is an STI? I still get that question all the time. So Same. if you're really trying to provide education that reaches all people, then you have to use language that they're using, that they're going to Google and, and say like, how do I know if I have an STD? And that's how people come to my website all the time. So if I took all evidence of STD away and replaced it with this current new term that is slightly more medically accurate, et cetera, then I would lose all the people because of my wanting to be superior in my advanced, you know, current education, et cetera. So mm -hmm. in that sense, I think we have to be really thoughtful around how we're using it, why, when, and to not condemn someone for still utilizing a term that they're familiar with, because that's the way in which we learn. You don't know until you know, like you can't know any better 
until someone shares that with you. And you certainly are not going to be receptive to someone sharing it with you if they make you feel like you're stupid because you didn't know, you know, like that, uh-huh. that, seems, that seems silly to me. Yes. Thank you for pointing that out. Uh, I don't know if that person that commented on my Instagram is listening, but yeah, that was a bit elitist to be like, why didn't you call it STD? Well, because yeah. <laughs> it is. So, you know, and it's the title of her freaking right. So back off. Uh, right. So everyone's got something to add on the internet, don't they? Oh yeah. People uh, just need something <laughs> to make themselves feel better. I mean, that's really ultimately, it's a, it's a bid for, I am, I'm trying to gain power where I don't feel like I have any. When people are crappy on the internet, that is ultimately what they're showing to you is that they in multiple or one or some aspects of their life do not feel like they have any relevance or power or, um, you know, relevance and power are the biggest things. And so Mm -hmm. I'm going to use my internet as an, as a stranger, a total unfamiliar person to try and make myself feel superior to someone else. And yeah. Yeah, to remedy that. And it's and it's obviously it's not a solution and it's ridiculous. But from a psycho social perspective, that's what's happening when people are shitty on the internet, is they're just trying to gain some status back where they feel like they have none. And it's yes. too bad that they're using um using it people as as their stepping stones, essentially. Uh-huh. Yes. And that's a great segue to our next topic of people being shitty on the internet and how hard it is to date when you have an STI because people will be shitty on the internet. You can't, I I don't think that it's easy for someone to just disclose on their dating app or even on the first or second date with someone they met on a dating app. It's a challenge because people on there are shitty. So it's not that they need safe places. It's just that they need places where people are like-minded and kind and polite and not shitty. So there is a dating site called Positive Singles, which again, you are a spokesperson for. So tell, tell us more about Positive Singles. Yeah. Positive Singles is geared toward like any niche dating site, like dating for farmers or for for a specific category, like people who have this experience. So if you are positive for an infection, oh my God, he's getting up in the background. So we might hear, I might hear her in the background if you're hearing weird sounds, but um, yeah. So positive singles is geared toward people who have an STI, mostly long-term infections because other, otherwise they're curable and kind of irrelevant and don't matter, but um, long-term or forever infections. And, and I think it's a good stepping stone. It's not for everyone, not everybody is going to feel like they want to specifically date someone with the same infection. Although I think if you're absolutely petrified of having that discussion with somebody and really nervous about how that might go and how that's going to look for you, it's a good way to get back into the dating field and to like get your feet wet again and to realize like, wait a minute, you still have got game. You're still the same amazing awesome sexy person that you were before this doesn't define you has nothing to do with potential relationships not really not in the way you might think it does so it's a good way to start to to get back out there again and I and people end up meeting friends through it as well as potential partners and then some people are like yeah I just don't want to have to only specifically date within a certain category and I don't think we have to self-segregate either I've actually never dated someone that has herpes just by default. And, um, and so I don't think that we absolutely need to self-segregate because it's not practical. The vast majority of all people contract an STI at some point, 80% yep. of all people contract HPV by the age of 50. Mm-hmm. So that's just one out of the 30 infections. So 
the most most people are going to have an STI anyhow, but I think it's a good it's a good way in which to, um, like I said, to get your feet wet again and start dating. If you're absolutely petrified about having that conversation, that's a way in which to kind of have it in a mild way. I mean, there's still a sexual health conversation that's necessary, mm-hmm. but at least at that point in time, you're already in the same page of like, well, at least we have the same the same specific infection. Now, what else about what about these other ones, and how often are you getting tested? Right. So there's still a conversation that could be beneficial. Absolutely. How long has Positive Singles been around? 20 years. They launched in 2001, and now there are 2 million uh, members on the site. They've been around for a while. I just did not realize they had been around that long. Yeah, yeah, yep. It was just a website first. Now they have an app as well. So um, you can do it all from your couch and on your phone and chit chat and meet new people, et cetera, who have a similar experience. I I mean, again, I, I totally with you. There's no need to self-segregate, but as you say that if, if you just don't feel comfortable or you've had some bad experiences, just being out in the dating world, disclosing, and you've gotten, you know, bad, bad reception of that, then this can be a place where you can go and sort of build up build up those skills, build up your confidence again and see that there's people out there who will be okay with it. There's people out there who aren't going to take it (laughs) and call you names or imply anything about you or ask you inappropriate questions. So yeah, uh, I've had a couple of people who have used positive singles and had positive things to say about their experiences on there. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard both. Some people hate it. Some people love it. Some people have met partners, friends, et cetera. Like it's, we're all different. So there's going to be a different approach, a different style, different kind of way in which to consider dating that is going to be a fit for each and every person. And interestingly enough, since becoming public about my status, that's how I met my husband and he doesn't have herpes. And he was like, I just love what you do. I'm so inspired by it, that you're helping people. I think your work is amazing your confidence, like everything about what you do is the kind of person that I want to see myself with. And so I've, I've been hit on so much more as a result of just being like, this is what I do. And I don't give an F if you have a problem with it. And, and the people who are rude, it's like, I wouldn't want anything to do with somebody who wants to attack random strangers on the internet. If you're calling a stranger, yeah. a slut, a whore, damaged, what does that say about about you like what is wrong in your heart that you're attacking strangers like I need I, I need somebody who's whose confidence level whose education whose perception of the world around us is similar to my own and I mean and who I can learn from not who's going to bring me down and to this horrible level of humanity like that's deplorable like no yeah. <laughs> I want nothing to do with you anyway so thank you for yeah letting me <laughs> yes. know that right off the out the gate you know yes I feel like you and I are doing the vast majority of our work around people who are more um, in the like neutral category, not the like negative category. You know, a lot of people out there who, who talk like that to strangers on the internet, we're probably never going to get through to them and help them become sex positive and understanding. And even accepting of those probably are the same people who are not accepting of anyone who falls under the LGBTQIA umbrella. Like we're probably never going to change their hearts and minds, but I feel like we appeal more to those people who are like, I just don't know. I just don't have the answers. I don't have an understanding of this. I don't have an opinion yet. I feel lost and uninformed. Those are the people who we can kind of pull in onto our side to show them the way of like, 
your life is not over if you get a diagnosis. You are not a slut right. if you end up with chlamydia. <laughs> like those right. are people I I feel like we we uh, appeal to. Yeah, absolutely. And you're right. We can't change the minds of all people. It's that I want to make sure that the people who end up having this experience aren't feeling so isolated and stuck without resources. And that the people who just don't know and would like to know, like, what does this mean? What is that? What am I considering, et cetera? Um, all of those folks too, to help them to make a decision that's best for them, not to necessarily even bring them to the yes side of, yeah, I want to hook up with everyone with an STI. Like, I don't care what your ultimate end decision is around your risk consideration and, and the decisions you make around your own body are your own. And I support those always. It's just so that we can do it from a place of empowerment, from knowledge. And so that we're making decisions that feel really good, because then even if something comes of it, that is less than desirable. If an outcome happens, that is not what you would have hoped would have happened. You are prepared to handle it in a way that does not leave you stuck and um, escaping and spiraling and, and, and harming and harming yourself from a mental perspective, physically and mentally, your overall health and wellness. That's what I care about. Yeah, absolutely. Same here. Well, Janelle, what's next for you? What, what are some of your plans in 2022? In 2022, what is the what is the goal? Well, I just started a new role with Health HIV. I'm their education manager. Health HIV is a nonprofit out of DC. Um, CDC funds a lot of their projects. They work with Medscape, a couple of other different big mm. funders and yeah. um, and projects. And so, yeah, lots of really cool um, cool things going on there. And that's my full time work. And then we just finished launching the Herpes Management Toolkit. Um, which talks all about like prescription and prodrome and triggers and um, has a whole bunch of self-tests that you can take to discern what might your triggers be. Do mm. you experience prodrome? How do you want to manage what's going to fit your lifestyle? So it's not a one size fits all of like, take this and do this. And everybody needs to work in this way because everyone's a little different mm -hmm. and what's going to fit and feel good for you on an everyday basis. Like it may be an everyday management style. It may be just when and if needed. And there's a variety of different ways to approach. So that I'm really proud of because we have a um, medical advisory board that's approved all of the content. We link to all of the research that's associated with it. It's a really nice. cheap price point. So, so yeah, so it's all like really accessible, comprehensive information to help people with that first step when they're diagnosed. And sometimes people are coming to the toolkit after having had herpes for years, but they really just never felt like they got the information, that comprehensive information about it mm -hmm. that they would have liked from their provider. And most providers just don't have this. They just don't um, again, they can't be an expert in one specific infection because they're covering so many things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so that's my big, my big recent yay that I think is amazing. I'm proud of that. And, um, and continuing the same in the same energy and in the same direction is really the, is the approach more of the same. Well, keep up the good work. You are definitely out there doing wonderful things in this world, helping, helping to educate people and remove stigma and taboo. And I just applaud you. You're, you're phenomenal. I really look up to you. Oh, thank you so much. It's been such a delight to have this conversation and I really appreciate the opportunity. So thank you so much. For sure. For sure. I was happy to have you on. So tell the listeners how they can find you. Where can they find you on online and social media? 
at the STI project across all social media channels, Instagram. I'm Janelle Marie Pierce on Facebook. Um, but yeah, at the STI project finds all of my pages as well. TikTok, TikTok, Instagram, my page on Facebook, et cetera. Ooh, I'll have to make sure I follow you on TikTok. I I've done my best to try to find all the content creators that I like on like Instagram, Facebook, and find them on TikTok. But uh TikTok's been a fucking wild ride this last year. Like, whew. Oh my gosh, isn't it? Yes, it's crazy. Oh, it is crazy. Like positive and also crazy negative. Like it's just, it's all over the place. I, I'm sure you've had this happen too when you end up on the wrong side of TikTok, especially like white male Christian TikTok. Like when they find your stuff, <laughs> it's like a dog with a bone. I just have to go like delete, 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 block, 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 block. <laughs> I don't even engage. So I don't know if you, if you, if you have this set up yet or not, maybe you already do, but I actually have word filters on my comments. So especially with like herpes, there are all these like fake cure people. And Mm -hmm. so I have a whole bunch of word filters for certain words, things like slut too, um, are all like, if you use any of that language in a comment, it doesn't even appear. And so it ends up blocking the vast majority of all of these idiots who want to say something rude because they've been filtered. And it shows you, you can review the filtered comments just in case somebody happened to say like, oh, I was called a slut some, you mm. know, or whatever mm-hmm. they're sharing, like a genuine story that happens to have this language in it. You still don't end up losing that. It just filters it. So nobody ends up seeing it. So they don't get the platform that they're looking for. Oh my God. How did I not know about this? Okay. I'll have to do that. I'll have to do that. Cause I definitely, yeah, I, took a screen, I took a screenshot and I've got a reply to someone yesterday that found one of my videos from May about masturbation month and was like, don't do it. You're going to hell. You're going addicted. You're going to hell. Oh, my gosh. Like, oh God. I need to do like, you're going to hell. That's going to be one of my filtered comments. I feel so sad. Yeah, exactly. Hell, perfect, perfect. Jesus, you know, whatever. I feel so sad for these people, like the lack of pleasure in your life. Like, I'm I know, just right? sorry for you. When you say like, I can go to hell all day. Like, at least I'm feeling good on my way there. <laughs> and when, when you say like, God is watching, like, why do you think that God cares more about solo sex than all the things that you might do with your partner? I mean, like there, there's just, there's no, God does not care about your pleasure. Uh-huh. God does not know if God even exists. Like mm-hmm. he's not watching you that intently. He does not care. She does not care. She exactly <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. Oh yeah. It's really satisfying. The, the, fil- the comment filters are really satisfying because you get to see how many idiots thought that they were going to get the ha-has and the likes and the whatever. And then they realize like, oh, it didn't appear, you know, and then they tend to go away when they don't get Mm-hmm. that immediate gratification of all these people think my comment is so witty and you know whatever then they yeah. kind of they kind of die out because you're not giving them that immediate gratification so yeah it's really satisfying to be able to look like haha you got filtered yeah Bye-bye. thank you for that tip I'm uh, I'm gonna spend the next like hour on TikTok filtering comments you're so and welcome. adding filters so thank you <laughs> Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. all right well again janelle thank you so very much for being on keep them coming you are welcome back anytime and i wish you all the best in all your endeavors thanks for listening to keep them coming with open the doors coaching please rate subscribe and share this podcast and check the show notes or stuff we talked about during the episode 
You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Clubhouse, and TikTok. But visit my website if you want more information about me and my coaching services. You can join my safe for work or not safe for work email list, which I call the Dirty Bird. If you want less censored content about sex and relationships and want to know what I'm up to, please subscribe to that list. Send me an email, Kristen at Open the Doors Coaching, if you have a question, want to book a session, or want more information on my upcoming workshops. My theme song is original music by M. Kusa. Until next time.